always. We talking about driving to Los Angeles. All day, sucker. Are we not having a discussion about driving from New York to Los Angeles? Start with me, we will go on. I've got to go temporary. I've never seen this America place, but it does not respond kindly to our sort of. Oh, no one say anything frivolous for the next few moments. I am having a significant experience. Whoopee! Look, Miss Julie Newmar has been watching silently over this entire conversation. And look at her vintage Miss Julie. She is the perfect, the ultimate. Oh. Try to describe her and not use the word statuesque. Oh, Miss Julie, you are statuesque, and you were the only cat woman. Oh, read it, please. To Wang Fu, thanks for everything. Julie Numa. Who, who was Wang Fu? I, I don't know, but evidently they were close. Had enough of this conversation. I'm hungry. We must take this message from Miss Newmar with us across the land as, as our sovereign token. Oh, why don't you just relax? It's gonna be all right. Yeah, I was back in the club car. Now we're talking about driving across America. Welcome back to Ramblin', an Amblin' podcast. The podcast where we hop behind the wheel of a less than reliable Cadillac to hit the road and check out the titles and sights of Amblin' Entertainment. All the while spreading feelings of good love and tolerance. My name is Andy Godian. And my name is Josh Glenn. And together we are Ramblin', an Amblin' podcast. And we're very happy to be joined today by one half of uh, the Let's Jaws for a Minute podcast, Looper editor and writer, Sarah Buttery. Welcome to Ramblin', Sarah. Yay, I'm finally here. Yeah. <laughs> I've been so excited to come on. It's been a long road. It sure has. It sure has. This is like when we were trying to work out what episode you came on to LJ Fam Andy and we realised it was like episode 8 or something insane. It was really early on in the, in the draw <laughs> yeah. time. <laughs> what was like the minute you were talking about? I was talking about the minute where um, uh, the mayor and Chief Brody have a chat on the barge. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good right. moment as well. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Uh, for viewers who, listeners who may not be too aware, but I imagine there's quite a lot of crossover. Sarah, what is Let's Jaws for a minute for those who might not be so sure? Yeah, there is a lot of crossover, isn't there, between yeah. podcasts, so particularly now. Um, yeah, so Let's Jaws for a minute. Uh, started off as a minute-by-minute breakdown podcast of the greatest film ever made, which is Jaws. <laughs> uh, and now that we've finished that, we're having far too much fun to just stop it forever. So we're going to continue uh, and are now sort of looking at the the wider world beyond Jaws. So we've just finished um, Spielberg season one. Uh, Spielberg's made so many films, we've had to break it into, mm-hmm. well, at least mm-hmm. four seasons. Who knows how many it'll be by the time <laughs> we end up finishing all of them. Uh, and looking at other shark films, other films starring kind of like the main cast members. So 
um, other films released in the same year, other films that were nominated for Oscars in the same year. Like we've got a bunch of like really cool stuff planned to sort of look at things outside of Jaws, but it it feels like each series that we do now will be a different thing. Obviously, looking at Spielberg's other films he made before and mostly after Jaws, you kind of get a little bit of of context. You see him change and progress and learn mm-hmm. and make mistakes <clears throat> 1941 uh, <laughs> and sort of like try things out until he sort of you know is the the spielberg that we we kind of know and love and yeah we've we've covered uh a lot of amblin films and probably more <laughs> going forward as well so definitely some crossover in there jaws was only the beginning <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly a lot of cool stuff planned so yeah it's it's really fun to see where that goes now is there a particular spin-off that you're of it that you're most looking forward to be it one of the actors or one of the kind of related topics as as president of the roy scheider fan club i'm very excited (laughs) to get to the roy scheider season um any excuse to talk about sorcerer again i will take Uh. it um but some great, great films. French Connection as well, mm. all that jazz, like some really, really good films um in in that season. And yeah, because I'm 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 keen for the sort of the other other films like made around that time, like either the Oscar season, so other films that were nominated in the categories alongside Jaws, mm. um, or other films that came out in 1975 and just getting kind of like a feel for where Jaws fit into that sort of very specific time mm-hmm. in cinema the kind of like pre-jaws and the post-jaws world we'll have to mm-hmm. arrange that season <laughs> so it goes like through the calendar year of releases or something so it sort of yeah. puts jaws in the middle when it came out gonna... in the summer but are you going to cover the video when Spielberg recorded himself uh, <laughs> as the nominations for Best Director were being read out in 1975? We'll do a minute-by-minute breakdown of that video. <laughs> minute-by-minute like... breakdown of his breakdown. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that bit in The Simpsons. It's like you can pause it and see the moment that his heart breaks. <laughs> oh, no, I did a good job of it. <laughs> oh, bless his heart. I think he's doing all right now, though. He's doing okay, that. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Still making films, I guess. Yeah, yeah. There's one out now. I've heard it's pretty good, but. (laughs) Are you doing the Jaws sequels? Is there space in your itinerary for the Jaws sequels? We've done the we've done the Jaws sequels. Yeah, (laughs) what a what a wild ride that was. Um, (laughs) Particularly when it came to giving our like final rankings of the Jaws Mm. sequels, I will say that my co-host MJ had a very controversial. Uh, ordering of the sequels, <laughs> which is not in revenge with... number one. <laughs> you said, yeah, well, of, after Jaws, obviously, I think his order was like Jaws, Jaws the Revenge, Jaws three, and Jaws two, and it is, is quite controversial. Widely accepted that Jaws two is the best of the sequels, but he, he said that it was boring. He had the most not fun today. with yeah. <laughs> Jaws 4 is kind of fun. I'll give it that. Oh, but yeah. It's not, a, it's not a good film. It's not a good That's film. That's the one I haven't seen. I remember, I used to, when I was a kid, I liked Jaws 2 more than Jaws 1 because I was stupid. <laughs> Jaws 3 is the one with the um, aquarium, isn't it? Yeah, sure Dennis is. Quaid in the aquarium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, coked up Dennis Quaid, chasing a shark around an aquarium. That's a good time. That's my favourite Dennis Quaid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> we oh, talk I... extensively um, about Dennis Quaid with your partner on his episode. In his oh, team. of course, yeah. <laughs> in which I think we we all agreed that he's quite a snack. <laughs> oh yeah, Inner Space. How many? Wow, how many episodes back was that? That was. Uh... That, that's like hot. Almost like it's over. What year was in the space? Eighty six. Eighty six or eighty seven. Yeah. Mm. So it's a it's a fair it's way time. back. <laughs> yeah, it was probably before me and Martin got married. So yeah, that was a long time ago. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh. so clearly there's a big big love for Spielberg in mm-hmm. in in your celluloid heart, as I like to say on this show. <laughs> um, so what is it for you that kind of when it, you think of the name Amblin? What's uh, what sort of feelings does that inspire that word, or what what's the vibe you'd attribute to the word and world of Amblin? Mm. I wonder how many times you get this answer, but I think because <laughs> of the logo, everyone just thinks of ET, yeah. right? <laughs> You're like, oh, if I had a pound. <laughs> but it's just it's seeing that that logo come up before a film, and obviously that its association with Spielberg, even if it's not a film that he's directed always get that feeling of just like okay even if this isn't a film that Spielberg has directed there is a sense of endorsement from Spielberg people close with Spielberg that that this film is you know they've put their money behind it or whatever it is so you sort of Mm -hmm. like it will make me sit up and take notice uh that's not to say that every Amblin film ever made is good as I'm sure you have discovered refer to (laughs) (laughs) no no flops yet (laughs) but it is just you know i mean it feels like that sort of like not a stamp of quality but a sort of like there's Mm. an endorsement from someone who i admire greatly and who doesn't himself have a perfect record so that's not Mm. you know it's not instantly gonna be et or like one of these sort of classic films but it's like okay Let's see yeah. what this is. Like, what is even the even the failures well. are kind of kind of fascinating in and of themselves, uh, both for Spielberg and Amblin. Mm. <laughs> so, like, I, I totally agree with you there. Yeah, a, a we, seal of expectation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we I really enjoyed talking about 1941 as much as I despised it, um, <laughs> because it is just such a fascinating failure. And so, even the you know, as I'm sure you found doing this as well, like even the films that are not good. You're like, okay, why? Yeah, <laughs> what happened? happened here? Like, what's what's gone wrong that's made this film not be good? So it's it's inter- It's as interesting to dive into those ones, I think, as ones that are great and enjoyable and watchable. Mm. Mm. Um, speaking of the great film that you brought up uh, <laughs> as you began your spiel, um, does ET, the extraterrestrial, make you cry, Sarah? Yeah, of course it does. I cry at everything. <laughs> like. <laughs> I most recent well apart from a recent episode of The Last of Us which absolutely destroyed oh, me emotionally buddy. physically spiritually um, <laughs> I I cried at like this dog that was on TV that people said was really ugly and I was like no it's not it's cute so I that's I will cry at anything so ET mm-hmm. is obviously very much designed to make me cry so yes I do cry at ET. <laughs> Ah, I think the tide is turning in my favour. I think so. I need to go back through and tally up again because I'm not too. I, I let my I let my chalkboard get, <laughs> get like like behind, so I'm not too sure what the numbers are looking at. But that's I'm a, inclined to think <laughs> that's a pie chart that I want to see. Like I, yeah. I like a I like an Excel spreadsheet. I love a graphic. You know, I want to see like 
percentage of people who have mm-hmm. been guests. I mean, it kind of what you many just put the the moon and Elliot and Et on the bike as oh, the as stop the pie. It, there you go. it makes it so. I mean, <laughs> I'll add a tab to our Google Doc, Andrew. Yeah. We'll get that we'll please, done. please. Oh boy. <laughs> Now, uh, as you were saying as well, this is uh, this has been a long time coming. For you, mm-hmm. uh, one of the first voices to put your hand up when we reached out for guests to come on this <laughs> podcast adventure when we started it way back in November <laughs> 2020. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are now in uh, <laughs> nearly February 2023, but we've done it. We've made it here to the year 1995 <laughs> to talk about Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. The 1995 road trip comedy directed by Beban Kidron from a script by Douglas Carter Bean. And before we kick off proper, I'm going to hand over to Josh Glenn to let you all know what Tu Wong Fu is all about. Well, it's the Drag Queen of the Year contest, and in first place, we have a tie. Both Noxima Jackson, played by Wesley Snipes, and Vida Bahem, played by Patrick Swayze, have been awarded the title, meaning that they have both won a trip to Hollywood to take part in the Miss Drag Queen of America pageant. Before they depart on their trip, though, they stumble upon a little Latin boy in drag crying, quote-unquote. <laughs> this turns out to be Chi-Chi Rodriguez, played by John Leguizamo, an inexperienced drag princess who Noxima and Vida decide to take under their wing and bring along with them to L.A., to do this, they cash in their two plane tickets and use the money to buy a 1967 Cadillac DeVille, on the way encountering a signed photo of Julie Newman. That isn't her name, is it? <laughs> it's <in> the title! <laughs> Sorry, it's been a while since we've recorded. <laughs> I think, I, yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I've got no excuse at all. It's two over two years in at this point. Um... <laughs> To do this, they cash in their two plane tickets and use the money to buy a 1967 Cadillac DeVille, on the way encountering a signed photo of Julie Newmar that goes on to act as their good luck totem. As they set off on their cross-country road trip, they encounter the virulently racist, sexist and homophobic cop Sheriff Dollard, played by Chris Penn, who attempts to assault Vida and is knocked unconscious, presumed dead, when she defends herself. Fleeing the scene of the presumed crime, the queens quickly find themselves in even hotter water when their car breaks down. Chi-Chi is able to flag down local sweet local boy Bobby Ray, or local sweet boy Bobby Ray, played by Jason London, who drives them all to Snydersville, where car repairman and all-round piece of shit Virgil, played by (laughs) Arliss Howard, can hopefully fix the damage. Not long after they arrive, though, Virgil tells them that the parts he needs to repair their car won't arrive until after the weekend, so they'll need to stay in town until that point. Holding up in the bed and breakfast owned by Virgil and his wife Caroline, played by Stockard Channing, the girls go from lamenting their situation to making the best of it when they recognise the glow-up potential of the town and its inhabitants. As Chi-Chi coyly romances Bobby Ray, Noxima teaches manners to the local roughnecks and brings Clara, played by Alice Drummond, out of her shell, and Vida works on giving Caroline the confidence to break free of Virgil's abuse, they start to feel the town becoming a more friendly and inclusive place. But what will their newfound friends think when they find out about their drag queen's true lifestyle? Will Sheriff Dollard succeed in his vindictive mission to track them down? Will the strawberry social be as adorable as it sounds? <laughs> and just who is Wong Fu? <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you very much, man. <laughs> really, really enjoyed writing that. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> uh, now, this being the film that you are very quick to put your uh, name in the hat for, Sarah, is it one that you have a particular long attack? attachment to is it one that uh, you maybe watched growing up or is it uh how, how did you come to discover Tu Wong Fu yeah fairly recent I uh when I was oh, many many years ago when I was living with one of my friends um it, it was around that time that he got very into RuPaul's Drag Race so anything uh drag was being consumed uh in our flat all the time so i was just kind of aware of it happening and then he was like you should watch this film to wong fu it's really great it's referenced all the time in drag race and i was like okay i'll give it a go i watched it and i was like it's all right it's like it's a bit it's a bit silly but i didn't really like the magic of it didn't really get me straight away and then i rewatched. i was just in the mood to rewatch it again like a couple of years after that because i'd just been thinking about it for some reason and i was just like this film is is really good like it's <laughs> it's very i mean it it is what it is and not a whole lot happens but i don't think that matters because it's just such a fun time it's so quotable uh there's things in it that i say a lot uh one of which martin realized today that it was from <laughs> the film was on in the background he's like oh that's where this is from and i was like yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> um but yeah, I I I love it. I watch it um, pretty regularly. I, it's probably but yeah, for the last like five or six years is when I've sort of like really really loved this film. And just every once in a while, when I need a bit of a pick me up, uh, quite often when I'm feeling you know you're feeling just a bit down in the dumps and you just want like a little comfort movie. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. this has become like a comfort movie because it's just even though there's like nasty people in it and bad things, it's just very wholesome and very uh, warming and funny and vibrant and ends in a nice way that you just sort of get like the nice little warm fuzzies inside. When you want a bit of cheering up, this is one of those films that that I sort of reach reach for. Supplies that sweet, sweet serotonin. (laughs) (laughs) How about yourself, Josh? Was it a film you were too aware uh to wear up or had uh seen before no no not even slightly it, it, um i don't think i'd even heard about it until we looked at a lot like quite a few films in this period that we are just coming out of it's a name that i only really saw for the first time looking at the list when we first started the podcast um so i've got very little to say in this in this <laughs> segment but what i can say is that uh, what you were just saying sarah about it being a comfort film i have got a little um list in my notes app on my he phone, loves lists. Uh, of, I, I, do. <laughs> I do love lists, but I've got a little list of, of feel-good films. You know, mm-hmm. if you're feeling down, like you say, or a bit hungover or tender in some way, pop them on, and you get that quick serotonin release. And this has gone on that list. This has been added to the list as yes. of yesterday. Is, uh, I can see it being one that I wrote it on to. the list. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even even writing the synopsis earlier on. Uh, when I finished work, I was just giggling and happy and glowing, just thinking about this little <laughs> silly, lovely film. <laughs> it's great, but no, I, I I have no prior relationship with it. I I can remember watching it for the first time when I was about thirteen. Um, it, it was one that used to be on Sky sometimes. It right. was on the afternoon after school, and uh, I grew up in a very big Patrick Swayze household. Mm-hmm. My 
uh, mum was a massive Patrick Swayze fan. So from a very young age, I was I'd seen like, I remember seeing Dirty Dancing for the first time when I was about five, which is it's quite a uh, quite. Fast forwarding through all the the sexy bits, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing Ghost around a similar sort of time. Um, Roadhouse and Two Wong Fu came a bit later, but they were definitely ones that my <laughs> mum was like, uh, "Touch base with these when you're a bit older." And Point Break was one I had to discover for myself. That wasn't one that ended up on mum's roster of Swayze movies but uh, nice to discover it though it is a shame (laughs) (laughs) and then similar similarly to yourself Sarah I hadn't really thought about it again until um my partner Emily's a big drag race fan so I've watched quite a lot of drag race with her and um it is one that does get mentioned a lot in Mm -hmm. passing um be it through uh contestants talking about influences or just quoted mm-hmm. and so it, it's been one of these ones where i've come like, oh yeah that film i haven't seen that <laughs> in a while i wonder i wonder how that holds up um uh so and it was it i was glad it's when i saw when we started this and it was including this and i was like oh cool i'm gonna have a good a good reason to kind of go back into this and really like kind of dive into it um speaking of which <laughs> <laughs> I will now drive this Cadillac into uh, <laughs> production notes history. Hopefully, we won't get broken down along the way. <laughs> Just got to say as well, though, before we do go down this avenue, yes. Andy and I, we don't always get to watch the films together, but because Andy owns this one on Blu-ray, he brought it around to my house the other night. Was it last night? Yeah, it was no, Sunday no, night. Sunday night. Wait, I had a double bill of the Fablemans and two Wong Fu. Yes, <laughs> great double bill. But it was mm-hmm. a delight watching this with you because you listeners will know Andy's delighted giggle when something catches him off guard, <laughs> and it's a really wonderful thing to hear in the wild. And that giggle made it made itself known many times over <laughs> many watching this film. It was it was really really fun. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> We'll recount some uh, later on, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm not just, I just don't know if I'm conscious of when I was doing it. <laughs> uh, but I was quite surprised by like, um, I, I knew there'd probably be quite a good wealth of um, resources to go on this because it is it has become quite a beloved film. Um, but there was some really good meaty um oral histories to kind of dig into for this particularly around the film's uh 20th anniversary from 20 in 2015 so i'll make sure to for fan fellow fans and listeners of the pod i'll make sure to link these through as i think if you love this film they're very much worth a read but um as i said up top this film comes from a script from douglas carter bean who had originally envisioned this story for the stage but then had a moment when he realized, I'm not sure how well a car's going to work up on a stage. Uh, <laughs> it would only take until Back to the Future the Musical for them to figure out. <laughs> and nothing in between. <laughs> nothing in between. <laughs> so therefore, Douglas Carter turned his attentions to making it a screenplay feature. Uh, during the mid uh, the early and mid-90s, there are basically no gay, gay films being made in Hollywood, said the screenwriter to The Advocate in 1999. 
though gay, gay cinema had started to come into its own with independent films like My Own Private Idaho and Go Fish, mainstream Hollywood was still largely wary of gay characters and gay storylines that most kind of significant and groundbreaking one but probably before this era in the mainstream would have been Tom Hanks's Philadelphia which even then kind of is quite coy when it comes to scenes between him and his partner played by uh, Antonio Banderas so it was um uh for being his inspiration both came from that kind of lack of representation but also as a direct reaction to the 80s anti-gay propaganda film The Gay Agenda been saying there's a scene where they show drag queens going through a town and the narrator is warning the viewers that these people would take over your town and i thought well that would be fun <laughs> <laughs> so off he went on the basis of that idea with the title of the movie coming from an autographed picture of julie Newmar, the author uh, douglas found on the wall of a Times square chinese restaurant the china bowl in the mid-1980s, so something that very much stuck in his brain <laughs> when it came to titling this feature. And it wasn't long once the screenplay was completed that it caught the attention of Mitch Cohen, who was uh, working as a development executive at Amblin throughout the early 90s. Uh, Cohen, in an article written for the film's 20th anniversary for The Advocate, um, stated that Amblin was a heavenly place to work. This was, this was quite a nice little anecdote about Amblin in the 90s that I thought I would share. Pre-Katzenberg. Yeah, pre-Katzenberg. <laughs> Which we'll get to in a few yeah. years. <laughs> the people from Steven Spielberg and Kathy, Kathy Kennedy to the receptionist were all so nice and everyone was on first name basis. Everyone, we all called him Steven. There was a full-time <laughs> chef, a fully stored kitchen, open to everyone's use at any time. There was even a screening room complete with a constantly replenished popcorn machine and candy counter. Heaven. So I really want to work <laughs> at Amblin in the early yeah. 90s. <laughs> Would that this uh, microphone were a time microphone. Yeah. <laughs> um, as uh, Mitch Cohen moved up the proverbial ladder at Amblin, um, initially starting out accumulating background material for the likes of uh, Schindler's List and Jurassic Park. He became, he was was one of the people put in charge of looking out for new theatre works or novels that could be optioned for um, uh, adapting. But throughout this process, he came across uh, Douglas Carter's script. As Douglas Carter, along with being a... Uh, uh, kind of burgeoning screenwriter was also very much a young up-and-coming playwright uh, that Mitch was quite keen to connect with and found that he was working on the screenplay and uh, he kind of gave him free reign to kind of champion anything that he liked um, Mitch uh, pursued it and loved it from the second page that he read it and started bursting out laughing and knew it was something he wanted to send up the ladder at Amblin Stevens read the script that night Mitch said and what faith he had in me and all of us there. And he loved it. But he needed some confirmation. It wasn't the gay stuff that worried him. He just wanted to be sure the script was as funny as it, as funny to other people as he found it. So he sent it to his comedy meter, Robin Williams. The verdict? Make the movie. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> it was at this point that Mitch says, Mr. Williams said he couldn't play the lead, uh, Vida, but he, he was, as he was concerned, he was too hairy for the part. <laughs> <laughs> he also did a cold reading of the script, right? To yeah. Spielberg on a plane journey, which apparently mesmerized him. <laughs> uh, so uh, this marks the first time at Amblin that um, they bought a spec script and put it straight into production as well. So that such was the faith in the material. Uh, finding a director was hard. Uh, for every male director that they sent the script to, decided to pass on the material. Um, it, so it was then that they. Uh, so in the, this point in the nineties in America, this, so we're still in about, I want to say, early ninety four. Um, Oranges are not the only fruit. The British uh, BBC drama adaptation had only just been aired in the US, and Amblin were quick to looked to see who had produced this and directed it and said name was Beaven Kidron. And she it's a much celebrated TV series. Are you guys familiar with it at all? Do you, I remember doing this at oh, school. So <laughs> <laughs> like the name sounds vaguely familiar, but mm. not any Again, one of these kind of touchstone, um, particularly kind of coming of age queer uh, narratives that um, I think, <laughs> I, I wonder if that, uh, equally still holds up to this day but i i remember it being very very good even at the time mm-hmm. um and she she's gone on to uh both in tv documentary and film work she's uh very celebrated and had become quite a hot commodity on uk tv at this time uh before the call came for hollywood and making her american film debut with the shirley mcclain comedy used people in 1992 uh but when wong fu came around she saw it as a chance to uh offer a counterbalance to the mainstream hollywood portrayal of gay men uh which at this time uh particularly with the, uh the case in point of philadelphia was largely focused around the aids epidemic uh beban told uh yahoo in an interview for the 20th anniversary that was the big story and all the movies at the moment were about gay men who were dying, she says. And this was one that was about celebrating them in the middle of that moment. Um, so with being locked in, there the uh, next big step was casting the three leads. Uh, initially, it seems that finding two of the lead parts at least was quite easy. Wesley Snipes said yes immediately after being one of the only the top name on the list. Uh, John Leguizamo, uh, the role of Chichi Rodriguez had been written specifically for him, uh, jumped aboard too. And I think it's quite interesting. Like, I'm sure we'll get into this a bit more with uh, uh, the discussion on the film, but I find it so interesting, particularly for Wesley Snipes to take this role at this point in his career, where he's just coming off of action movies like Demolition Man and uh, Rising Sun. It's quite a quite a big pivot for him and i think an incredibly brave brave and bold move in his career at this point uh Liguizamo, um of course had 1993's super mario brothers movie under his belt <laughs> 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 but was also well uh particularly well known at the time for um a sketch comedy and a, a particular improv style which is what i imagine was more what uh why Douglas Carter had written this role specifically for him. Um, and it turns out that many actors were interested in the Vida role. 
and a lot of people screen tested for it. And while a lot of reports are that a lot of them were very good, nothing seemed to quite click. Uh, some of the names that were kind of touted around the time included Robert Downey Jr., William Baldwin, Gary Oldman, Matthew Broderick, James Spader, John Cusack, Mel Gibson, uh, Robert Sean Le- Leonard, Willem Dafoe, <laughs> John Totoro, Matt Dillon, Rob Lowe, Johnny Depp, and one Tom Cruise. Of course. <laughs> of course he was. Carl uh, McLaughlin also apparently really wanted it and was quite upset when he didn't get the part. <laughs> <laughs> I read that a lot of them came to the auditions in full regalia and they had their yeah. own... Uh, stylists and they had their own ideas as to how these women would present themselves and what they would smell like and the kind of makeup <laughs> they would use. <laughs> uh, Douglas Carter Beans that you like recalled in an interview with Gay City News in 2006 that John Cusack looked too much like his sister. Uh, <laughs> uh, Robert Sean Leonard was beautiful, uh, very Audrey Hepburn-esque. Jane Spader was also very beautiful. Willem Dafoe looked the way Mary, Mary Tyler Moore does now. <laughs> And the Joker's sister was his pro- was his follow up. Jesus, <laughs> what a scorched earth comment! Poor Mary Tyler Moore was his one. His very blunt comment about John Turturro was not pretty. <laughs> oh no! Wow. Douglas Carter taking no prisoners whatsoever. <laughs> Are we hot? We're not. And then, according to Kidron, all the auditions with the big-name stars all tended to follow a similar pattern. Uh, She she said, literally, what would happen is they would go into the makeup, they'd put on their clothes, and then the very last last thing that would happen is they would put on the wig in front of the mirror. And for all of them, there were only two responses. The first one was, but I'm beautiful. (laughs) And the second was, I'd fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll let the listener decide which actor said which response. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> one of the last to get an audition was Patrick Swayze. And at this point, his career was in a bit of a uh, downturn. Um, whilst he had started the 90s very strong with uh, the likes of Ghost and Point Break. His last couple of films, uh, which was City of Joy and fatherhood had been critical and commercial flops and i think this is perhaps why swayze wasn't automatically kind of in this mix of actors being considered for vida but he apparently wanted the role real bad uh i just took patrick swayze's life growing up in redneck texas and having a mother as a choreographer and trying to find out who i was swayze explained in an interview with the advocate I took that life and changed it to a boy who has feminine tendencies all all his life and discovered that is who he is. I found Vida very easy to identify with. So with this connection to the role, he persisted to get an audition and Beban flew out to New York to meet him. Uh, Swayze had his own makeup people transforming into a woman and insisted that him and Beban take a walk around the city to prove that he could pass as a woman. And with his beauty and dancer's grace, Beeman said he did just that. Um, with the walk apparently being the thing that cinched him and something he had workshopped aggressively with his wife before the, meet- before the meeting. Uh, with Swayze going on to say he based the role on uh, 
his mother, who didn't actually approve of him playing a drag queen in this film, uh, Demi Moore, Lauren Bacall, and Audrey Hepburn. So uh, quite a cocktail there. <laughs> <laughs> All very endearing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the film, of course, also features dozens of New York City's drag performers, particularly in the, in the early moments, uh, both underground stars and more um, established names, uh, with uh, one of the main ones, of course, being RuPaul. Uh, but you also have Joey Arias there, Lady Bunny, Miss Underwood, Candace Kane, Flotilla DeBarge, Miss Coco Peru, Lady Cateria, and Quinton Crisp. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, with the three leads um, being somewhat concerned of what the reception might be about three um, straight men going into these roles, they were quite keen to do the the legwork to really um, both win over um people within the community and also just to make sure they were doing a job that came from an authentic place so they spent a lot of time in new york and were all given a drag mentor to work with in order to help discover their characters and their and their looks and with a lot of their costumes and wardrobes ending up being custom made based on a lot of notes from that experience um spending time with these men was incredibly eye-opening swayze wrote in his memoir uh, not only did they have an amazing sense of humor, they also had an amazing courage. It takes cojones to be exactly who you are, especially when it's so different from what society has dictated for you. So I think even the free men themselves found that experience to be quite mm-hmm. an enlightening one beyond the film itself. Now, having done their homework, filming was due to begin in Lincoln, Nebraska, which was where uh, most of Snyder- Snyderville? Snyderville. <laughs> Snyderville. <laughs> well, uh, so that was stood in for Snyderville. Um, but first, Kidron had a bit of a surprising bit of news for Spielberg before going off to shoot. Uh, for she was pregnant. His reaction, Marzel Tov. And he, she was very much stressing at the time, no, um, I don't think you're getting it. I'm pregnant and I'm making this movie. And again, his response was, but I've got loads of kids and I've made loads of movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kid- Kidron then just being, yes, but there is quite one big difference there, Stephen. <laughs> so, this, of course, meant there was a big insurance risk for the movie, but Spielberg integrate, uh mitigated that risk by uh stepping in and saying should she have to come away for any point during the production due to pregnancy he would step in and direct so your kind of insurance policy is literally steven spielberg so that's quite a, <laughs> nice. it's, it's quite a good <laughs> safety <laughs> net <laughs> um and so my joke became on set why don't why doesn't someone just push me down the stairs so they could have Steven Spielberg <laughs> making the movie Kidron, Kidron says with a laugh <laughs> in fact when the movie movie went a little bit over uh, on the last day of principal photography I was nine months and five days pregnant <laughs> and so we wowie. had to and so at the end of the shoot we had to charter a plane to get the crew and the cast back to New York and when that plane landed in New York my waters broke. Oh my God. <laughs> Down to the wire. <laughs> so that kid really, that kid really held on. <laughs> uh, but uh, Noah Kidron, who uh, her son who was born from this pregnancy, is credited in the film as best baby. <laughs> oh, <cute. laughs> 
now, also from a lot of these interviews and materials, it's easy to piece together that um, this was a bit of a tough shoot for particularly the core um, trio uh, in front of uh, leading the film, uh, with the main reason being uh, a great deal of discomfort from the extensive makeup and costuming requirements. Um, I don't think they had quite understood what it would entail to look that <laughs> look like that for <laughs> a whole film shoot. <laughs> so, uh, nobody told us that the makeup sh- sessions would take as long as Planet of the Apes, the Grisamo equipped to e- EW in 1995. Uh, Le going on to explain in his memoir later that becoming Chi-Chi took three hours and his eyebrows were permanently damaged from the constant waxing. Holy cow. <laughs> uh, Swayze for his part would wake up at 4am to sit in the makeup chair and had to be shaved five times a day <laughs> <laughs> and they soon grew weary of the high heels and wearing a device that came to be called the gender bender which was just used to designed and used to de- de- uh, to hide their manhood when they wore their miniskirts. Mm-hmm. Um, I really didn't mind wearing the women's clothes as long as the gender bender wasn't involved, Swayze wrote in his memoir. But Wesley absolutely hated it. When we wrapped, he had a ceremonial funeral for his gender bender wig and clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Out of context, that is a wild quote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this picture of like, Wesley Snipes just in front of a pyre. Yes. <laughs> Let it burn. Let it burn. <laughs> uh, so with that pressure, um, there was also the remote location and a four and a half month shoot pro- ended up proving pr- trying for both cast and crew um, with a lot of friction getting into the ranks i think that on some movies everybody's everybody's best friend and on some movies people are just professionals on the same path and i think we were in the latter camp kitchen says matter of factly and <laughs> and you had a lot of passionate people wanting to do the best job they possibly could so there were clashes swayze later backed up in a tv interview with jimmy carter uh liguizama and swayze apparently nearly came to blows when Leguizamo improvised one too many lines uh, with Swayze taking a swing at him when he got fed up. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) And then, of course, uh, Leguizamo not taking that too too well and just getting quite hepped up as well. So they apparently reports say they had to be pulled off each other at that particular moment. Um, But it seems like we're all pretty well after that. Um, but it got uh, got a bit fiery at a couple of points. Kitchen herself doesn't remember that fight in particular, um, despite Lugazamo and Swayze both uh, recounting it. But she does recall a lot of competitiveness between Swayze and Snipes in particular. Uh, that's just standard across the business level, she said. It's like, who comes out of the trailer first? Who's got the highest heels? Who says the more lines? <laughs> Who's praised more? That sort of thing. Because <laughs> actors are needy people. <laughs> <laughs> that was me who said that, not Kidron. But I feel like, I feel like that's what she's implying. <laughs> I have more respect for who's got the high, highest heels than I do like The Rock and... Um... Uh, oh, Vin Diesel, uh, like, so who gets punched? The yeah, best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Got the, name Who's of the, got the biggest muscles. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> who was it? Who was in Hobbs and Shaw with? J- 
Jason Statham. Jason Statham, that's the one. <laughs> anyway, the other bald guy. The other bald guy. <laughs> There's only three. <laughs> Who's the boldest, though? Who's the boldest? <laughs> that's their next film. They're all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Contracts covered up as we speak. <laughs> Um, another thing that didn't help uh, kind of morale around the film was uh, a number of changes had to be made to the script uh, because corporate America refused <laughs> to get behind it. Um, according to EW, uh, McDonald's refused to grant permission for its restaurant to be used. So a scene of the drag queens eating fries had to be cut. PepsiCo wouldn't allow the characters in the film to drink its beverages and Holiday Inn wouldn't give permission for its sign to hang overhead during a sleepover scene uh, on across the road trip. Uh, Coca-Cola, however, did agree to be used in the film. <laughs> <laughs> Another reason why Coke is better than Pepsi. <laughs> You're not doing well when Coca-Cola is the good guy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, Doug Carter being... Uh, said at the time uh, people were telling me oh it's great you're doing this mainstream film to which he would often respond with excuse me mainstream I'm barely in the back door honey you could couldn't even get the makeup product tines on this movie that's how piss scared people were um, which I can imagine was quite tough to build up this sense of morale mm. over doing something that is more forward thinking and a bit more inclusive and then to be met with these quite uh, corporate red tape for simply for the simple matter being they don't want to be associated with the representation mm. that's on screen so tough mm. tough stuff and what's more professional golfer chichi rodriguez sued the production and distributor <laughs> over the use of his name in the film <laughs> eventually settling for an undisclosed amount <laughs> and that this is how i discovered that there was once a golfer called chichi rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. (laughs) Uh. filming wrapped in october 1994 (laughs) and the film was eventually released uh just under a year later on september 8th 1995 where it received mixed to positive reviews another drag queen road trip movie um the australian comedy adventures of priscilla queen of the desert had only opened in the u.s a year earlier and some critics at the time felt that Tu Wong Fu was simply too similar and suffered by comparison. Uh, but most reviewers did agree that the film um, had very strong performances in its three leads and did put across a life-affirming message um, with Emmanuel Levy writing for Variety. Ultimately, the comedy comes across as a celebration of openness, alternative lifestyles and bonding. All life-affirming values that in the 1990s are beyond reproach or real controversy. The film also opened at number one during its opening weekend. Uh, a moment which Kidron recalls with fondness saying, being in the back of the cinema in Times Square on the night it opened, when everybody loves your movie, it was fantastic. And the film would go on to stay at num- number one for one more weekend, topping the likes of Clockers and Hackers, before uh, being displaced by Seven and Showgirls in its third week. <laughs> wow. That's quite a pairing to, <laughs> to bow out to. Um, <laughs> tu Wong Fu would go on to earn 30, around 36 million domestically 
and around 47.8 million worldwide off of a budget of 30 million. Um, and while that was enough to put it in the top 50 highest grossing films domestically of 1995, it was, Swayze, uh, Swayze admitted, um, a little disappointing and didn't do as well as we had hoped for. Swayze and Leguizamo did receive Golden Globe. Go, go, Golden Globe? Golden, <laughs> <laughs> Golden Globe nominations for Best Actor in a Motion Picture Musical Comedy and Best Supporting Actor. Um, uh, but unfortunately, they both lo- uh, they lost to John Travolta for Get Shorty and Brad Pitt for 12 Monkeys, respectively. Hi. How are we going to know where we're going, okay? Instincts, my dear. And exquisite wit. Darling, if you're going to become a drag queen, you're going to have to learn these things. What do you mean, be a drag queen? I am a drag queen. Oh, child, no, no, no. You will simply put a boy in a dress. When a straight man puts on a dress and gets his sexual kicks, he is a transvestite. When a man is a woman trapped in a man's body and has the little operation, he is a transsexual. I know that. When a gay man has way too much fashion sense for one gender, he is a drag queen. Thank you. And when a tired little Latin boy puts on a dress, he is simply a boy in a dress. But uh, the film, as I said earlier, has gone on to have something of a, a loving cult following, with Cohen's parting, Co- parting words in that article being, I'm definitely no Larry Kramer. I haven't achieved an iota of what he's done for not only the gay community, but the human community. Yet when I think of Tu Ong Fu, I don't think of it as merely a movie. I think of what it meant to make a movie about free, out and proud gay men back in the mid-1990s what it meant to have a major studio finance and release it, what it meant to have one of the preeminent men in the history of the film industry support it from day one without any begging or convincing. I think of how I didn't realise all that it meant then and I think of all that it means still. Which I think is a lovely (laughs) point to go into our wider discussion on the movie and particularly to this point of... uh, its legacy and the way it is held up over time and i'll I'll throw it to you sarah how as a film that like we kind of come to films like this that come from like the 80s or the 90s and with a sense of expectation that they're going to be somewhat aged in their um depictions of gender roles and sexuality or what have you um how did you feel coming to to wong fu with uh, more contemporary eyes. How do you think it holds up? I think it holds up surprisingly well, really. Like, it's, it feels very progressive, like, even as you're watching it. Like, moments with RuPaul, the character RuPaul plays anyway, like, coming down from the ceiling wearing, like, a Confederate flag or something. It's like, talk about making a statement. That was one of my giggles. Yeah. Rachel, <laughs> Rachel, Rachel Tension. Tensions. <laughs> Just an A-plus, an A-plus drag name. Um, yeah, it, it's, I think, testament to the to the film that it it doesn't feel like a film made in 1995. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that a film like it could come out now and pre- I don't think there's anything here that you would really need to like change or update necessarily because, I mean, use of slurs and stuff in it, but they're used in a 
way that is you know it's the the bad characters using those yeah. against the the protagonist um but just that what i love so much about this film and i think you're so saying this andy in one of the things um you are reading out is just how refreshing it is to have a queer film that is just so full of joy and it's not tragic and it's not sad and heartbreaking it's like the exact opposite of all of those things and i think even even now it's great to have something like that that is just so like full of fun full of joy but isn't that god awful film with james corden was it called prom like it's not prom has been evoked (laughs) you've now brought the prom back into existence upon evoking it so thank you yeah (laughs) it's not going like that way but it's like Mm. there's something about it that just feels very uh authentic in its sort of Mm. like joy it's not sort of like Mm. three people they're not taking the mick out of that community at all and i think that that really comes across i think now perhaps the the only criticism that people would have of it is that it should be drag queens playing like real drag queens playing those roles and i would kind of support that because there's a lot of particularly through like rupaul's drag race and Mm. and shows like it there's a lot of very talented people who can Mm -hmm. act who who could do that as well and i always struggle with that because it's like yes you want to see queer characters played by queer people but it's i don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with the with the casting in this because i think it is very respectful it's not it's not white chicks it's not taking the piss out of it in that kind of way it's like respectful of the community and of the people that it's portraying Mm -hmm. i yeah i think even to like that kind of point of the legwork that they do Hmm. prior to shooting um and and it does i i like how you kind of put it as well the authenticity of the joy of it is Mm -hmm. so strong across particularly the performances Hmm. um how about yourself josh coming to it specifically for this Hmm. and only really knowing what the setup was did you have a certain expectation of coming to a um, gay comedy drama from the mid nineties. I'm watching it in 2023. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you hear you hear sort of drag drag queen comedy from 1995, and you think, ah, God, let's <laughs> brace ourselves for the very worst. Then, but then I think you mentioned uh, in the previous episode that we did when when you uh, previewed our next title, you'd said that you spoke of it with fondness and said that it was quite well regarded. And I thought, ah, that's surprising to hear. And uh, I hadn't read much about it before watching it, so I didn't know that it was held quite close to the the drag community. Um, but yeah, as soon as you watch the film, as soon as it kind of snaps into action and ready or not, here comes Mama is uttered, and there's that fantastic <laughs> opening sequence with that real pump up song. Oh, playing. the Salt and Pepper song. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Beautiful body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just realise that uh, it, it, one, of, one of those. <laughs> <laughs> it just becomes apparent very quickly to kind of combine your points. The 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 three actors they're not taking the piss. It's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not sort of um, satire or, or sending up. They are playing them as people, and it, to 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 borrow a line from Paris is Burning, it's not a takeoff or a satire it's actually being able to do this and you're watching three men 
playing three uh three drag queens not three men playing three men playing three drag queens mm-hmm. if you know what i mean there's no nudge nudge wink wink it's very very genuine and it's very very uh dignified they, they give the characters characters dignity and they don't feel the need to sort of defend their status as these macho men because all three i think even uh leguizamo um he he reads in his regular roles as quite a sort of macho man and it's quite nice to see those men in these performances comfortable yeah. enough and respectful enough of the culture to not feel the need to act as if they were you know above it or or whatever so mm-hmm. there's, there's that element that i think is, is really nice to see and there's also i think what makes it um uh so fun to watch and what makes it not age in terms of its tone is that it's not it doesn't present itself as an issues movie it's not saying this is an important film about something there are these hints of the darkness that surrounds uh this culture there's the hit the hints of what middle america really thinks of lgbtq communities but this is a, a safe uh, a safe space and like you say sarah a space for joy and a space for celebration and even though some of those um quote-unquote issues are incorporated they're done so in a way that is quite surmountable and uh, it doesn't hinder the joy that you get so i think it does it succeeds because it it takes it seriously and it doesn't take the piss but it also doesn't give itself a self-importance that i think could date the film hugely 20 plus mm-hmm. years later on you know that's a good point um i think kind of i went back and watched the trailer because i was quite intrigued how it sold and the way it opens is like wesley snipes <laughs> who you've seen as a federal agent <laughs> and as a fugitive on the run and patrick swayze who's been a hot frob and a protector as you've never seen him before <laughs> kind of sells it on that <laughs> so i do think it's like and like you say um i think you could you cast the wrong people and they do mm. take it as a bit of a joke but um, from the off, you can tell that these guys are taking it very seriously and are fully embodying um, their three characters. And I guess, I, I guess to really get to the heart of what I'm trying to say is, like, do you have a favourite? <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible to pick. Yeah, I could not pick. I, yeah. Although, if, if I had to pick it would be Noxima because mm. she has all the best lines. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote it down like when um, when Chi Chi like gets out of the car and just like it's just like a real aside she's just like look at her running like she's running across the border and I can't tell you how much that made me laugh. It was, <laughs> it's the delivery of it. It's so perfect and like I I love the the relationship between Noxima and the the old I can't remember the character's name, but the old lady as well, where Clara, she just like I think it is. She's like chasing her, chasing her down the street <laughs> with, with the this Mitchum. photo of Robert Mitchum, just like I'm gonna give it to you, and then just like sits down with her, and everyone, even like the women in the town who are like nice nice people, which generally to simplify it the women in this town nice the men dicks mm. there's mm. a couple of exceptions yeah. <laughs> but like that's that's pretty much it and even the other women in the town being like no she doesn't talk to anyone or you know she can't hear or whatever like they're quite dismissive of her but noxima like takes the time to to go and like sit with her and is like talking about you know talking about old movies like she knows that's what what she likes and is sort of able to to bring that out of her and i think that it's 
I would find it hard to say like who is the lead in this film. I guess mm. technically it is Patrick Swayze, but they each have their their own kind of distinct enough storylines that mm. it is hard to pick a favorite. But it's it's Noxie. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How about yourself, Josh? Or are you sticking yeah, firmly I mean, in there? I, really I can't choose. <laughs> I like how demure uh, uh, Vida is. I do mm. like um, there's something very. I mean, it, it's in in the <laughs> Patrick Swayze plays a very good. Uh, protective calming matriarch and there's something mm-hmm. very comfortable about watching that energy on screen but I, I do think i agree with you sarah and it is, it is bullshit that wesley snipes was was elbowed out of the golden globes nominations i know you can only nominate for best supporting and best uh, leading actor there's no space for three but uh <laughs> he was fantastic and deserves the point mm. but yeah like Maybe it's because he burnt his gender bender. Maybe <laughs> <it> <laughs> burnt his chances of an award along the way. <laughs> Did you have one, Andy? When you asked I, this, was it a loaded question? I think it's. I think it's because of. I do have a lot of affection for Swayze mm. um, from that mm. quite healthy diet of Swayze from a very young age. <laughs> but I do feel like, and particularly to the point that you said, Josh, that kind of he ha- gives a very calming presence as uh Vida that I found found very like I just want I just wanted to be hugged. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be taken under her wing and yeah. just looked after. <laughs> I want to be your protege going to LA. But I honestly thought the kind of more possibly the most authentic um drag queen i thought probably was leguizamo yeah, for sure. it, it, it's really in it <laughs> yeah uh, just the voice is so perfect that he uh, that he managed to hold and i can imagine like there's that scene with um the robin williams cameo as the kind of the guy who go <laughs> they go to to uh change up their airplane tickets so that they can afford to get a car to get all three of them over uh, John Jacob Jingleheim Schmidt is the, the, the best name. <laughs> 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 and it's like just that scene when it, the like, camera holds on both of the both of them in the booth because there's clearly a point where Legazano is going off book and Robin Williams is just going, "Oh hello." <laughs> <laughs> someone to spar with okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was i was reading that like because robin williams is not credited mm. in this no, film he's like not. i i i've seen this film so many times and i was like i know he i know he's in it and it was coming up to the scene and, and i was martin was next to me and i was just like oh robin williams bit is coming up in a minute he's like well, i don't remember him being in this and i was like then i was like scrolling through imdb and i was just like I'm sure he, I'm sure he is. But yeah, he's like I, I don't know necessarily if this is true, but sort of like didn't want his name on the cast list or sort of like the his presence because he was a huge star. Yeah. At this time, mm-hmm. didn't want that kind of taking away from like the three the three leads because he is like a minor role in it. But you know that a film with Robin Williams in the '90s, they're gonna sell it on his name. So he yeah. was like, no, mm-hmm. un- uncredited role. Which I think is I think it's really nice, like for yeah. a huge star like that to just like show up, be this like silly character with one scene and have some great improv with John Leguizamo. <laughs> I think it's like it's just a great, what a great thing to have. <laughs> yeah, and a nice tip of the hat as well because like clearly he had a 
a strong hand in uh, getting it over the line at Amblin mm-hmm. with yeah. it being mm-hmm. that kind of port call for Spielberg. Yeah. Um, and you make his very, very own, very good LGBT uh, comedy mm. in the following year with the birdcage. Oh, <laughs> I was going to ask if this the is birdcage. Real <laughs> birdcage. Love, 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 love. It would make a fantastic double. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Sarah. It's kind of like feels like his audition for that yeah. in, in a way like it's just kind of like yeah i can i can, obviously he can do anything but you know it's like being in this film and then mm-hmm. the birdcage coming up like yeah literally like the year after wow what yeah. a what a great time clearly wet his appetite <laughs> that's another one for the comfort movies list i think as well yeah absolutely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. brilliant film um <laughs> to kind of kind of go off on that um comparing with the Birdcage. Have either of you seen um, uh, Priscilla Queen of the Desert? Um, no. The film that was largely. <laughs> it's a. I'd be intrigued what you guys would make of it because beyond road trip with drag queens, it's not really. Mm. It's they're quite mm. far apart from each other. So I do. I, I guess it's just a case of coincidence and unfortunate timing in that regard for those kind of criticisms. But um, I would say maybe Priscilla's got a bit more of a kind of. It's sillier. It's kind of grander mm. and more flamboyant. Uh, I think because Tu Wong Fu, as we have kind of discussed, does touch on these moments where it it builds a world where they're going across this road trip, and there are moments where it's quite tense as to how they they're clearly quite nervous about um, the way people will receive them when they have to like get a motel or get the car mm. fixed or go into this town. And then, of course, you have that extra element of kind of of police brutality and domestic abuses are also themes kind of touched upon in this. Um, so I was keen to get your thoughts on how you think it does balance that uh, more overtly silly, joyous tone with these ingredients of darker themes. I'll go for I'll go with you, Sarah, first. Mm, I think it's. I think there needs to be something like that there because you need to sort of see like the the change that happens in this town like they they come in and it's a a town that is or they think is not going to be very receptive to them and obviously their first kind of encounter on the way on the way through is with this cop but it's it's uncomfortable that bit like particularly when mm. the cop mm-hmm. like takes Vida out of the car and it looks very much like he is going to try and assault her do you then get the great line of get your hands off my dick buddy which is uh, <laughs> primo <laughs> one of the best lines in the film um and the this the the cop is a figure of mockery like throughout the film yeah. and i think it's it's very clear that that the people involved in this, the other people in the town, whatever, like they are not thinking the same as this guy. Like his little list he has of like places where homos would be. Was, oh my god, it's <laughs> it's so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, it's so stupid. Um, that that stuff I think is it is very much like played for last, even though it does start off obviously like mm. quite serious. You do fear that you know they are potentially in a very dangerous situation but they kind of get the better of him and it then ends up something quite comical where they think he's dead and, <laughs> and all the rest of it um yeah. the 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 storyline with carol Ann and the absolute scumbag that is is virgil 
mm. is like <laughs> I think it need I I think it needs to be in that film because there really does need to I think it's all leading up to that like moment where mm. Caroline walks moment. out in like the red dress at the oh, end and she is like well. <laughs> you know taking the kind of like taking the 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 power back in her hands as it was and sort of like standing up for standing up for what's right and the people who have hurt her and I mean yeah uh, Vida slapping Virgil in the face as well is yeah. absolutely brilliant it's something we have to tell you about <laughs> Vida Vida works out Vida works out yeah <laughs> so good Vida works out it's so a good. lot <laughs> yeah but yeah I I I don't the film would be severely lacking in substance I think if it didn't mm have those moments but i think it balances the heavier stuff with the lighter stuff very well it's not so heavy that it then kind of like bogs the film down it doesn't become this tragedy this sort of like you know really hard to watch obviously it's upsetting yeah. what happens to to caroline but it doesn't sort of linger on it there's so many great supporting players in this film stockard channing is incredible in this film She's life really danner is yeah. great in this film like it's to have that many characters but yet to it never to sort of feel like tangled or like there's too much going on or that the heavy stuff is weighing down the lighter stuff or the lighter stuff feels out of place compared to the the heavy stuff like the the tone feels like just right i mean odd comparison point but we just spoke about or recently spoke about the color purple on um, the podcast <clears throat> was that an ambien would you have covered that yes yeah, it was yeah yeah. That. yeah yeah so that film doesn't really get the balance right of funny stuff and like mm. really awful horrible <laughs> devastating things that happen the lighter stuff in that film just feels like completely out of out of place and obviously this film is is skewed more on the like the lighter side but on in the the same way the the, the heavier stuff doesn't feel out of place in it it feels like it has a purpose being there if mm. that makes sense there's something lightly almost magical realist about this. And there, there are those jokey scenes when mm. they first redecorate their bed and breakfast room. <laughs> <Operation> <laughs> decorate storm. <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of my favourite Andy giggles in the film was when I think it's on the street at the end during the Spartacus moment when yeah. the roughnecks all come out and they're wearing the same gang clothes but just uh i don't know glammed up a little bit yeah yeah they just all be like dyed red and pink yeah and they like they've all changed their hairstyles it's such and it, a and lovely it's, little payoff and it's even in uh, one of the criticisms that i had read was that it was um it stretched credulity that they are always in drag for the entire film even when they go to bed mm. and whatnot they never uh you know dress down but it does feed, and I think the writer even said this, it feeds, it's a fantasy. It feeds into the overall idea mm-hmm. of this being a fantasy. And um, so when these bits of darkness, when these bits of grim reality do start to encroach, there is a kind of magical waving of the wand that's like, oh, these, these, these issues can be kept at bay by opening your arms and embracing difference and just mm. the the bigotry is the subject of ridicule in the film not not the drag culture yeah. not any of the queerness mm-hmm. it's the bigotry mm-hmm. rightly so as it should be um i mean sadly there is an element of fantasy to that when it comes to the real world but in this film in the safe space that this film carves out those things can be fixed with an open mind and an open heart and mm. It, I, I, as a for a bit of context and just just because my girlfriend also does watch RuPaul but I, I don't 
I, I sort of drop in and out every now and then. I've not seen an awful Josh, lot of it. So you've got to do I it. I know, I know. So good. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I watched Paris is Burning, which has been on my list for a long time to watch. But I, I watched that for a little bit of context for this. And that film, although it's, it's hugely different, um, obviously it's a documentary and it, it's a document of a slightly earlier period in drag culture in New York City. But that film also, there's a lot of darkness around the edges of that film, but mm-hmm. that film itself is a celebration of the balls that happen, the drag balls mm-hmm. in New York City. And it is, um, again, it's a safe space. And there is an element of fantasy to that idea. Um, but come on, it, it's deserved. This community deserves to have uh, a, something embalmed and protect, like, um, joy and happiness and love and celebration embalmed and protected. And um, yeah. I, I, I like that. And I think this film has tremendous value much like Paris is Burning does for capturing something pure and and joyous like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's nice. Yeah, <laughs> I, I fully agree that it offers grounding and also growth both for the characters they meet and themselves to be kind of like these, um, like you said, these figures that kind of descend into town and leave it in a much better place than it was when they found it mm. in a matter of a weekend. It's a. Uh, it almost put me in mind of like a. It's like a classic Western setup, <laughs> <laughs> and even the way the town is kind of laid out and the way yeah. it looks. It, it's very. It's like an old romantic. Um, I, I, I'm not sure I would go John Wayne, but maybe a bit more, <laughs> more Jimmy Stewart sort of vibe, yeah. uh, romantic western. <laughs> <laughs> like the end is like a standoff, like yeah. when yeah. when, when Caroline like walks out, it's like it's like it's proper western vibes. I see what you're. Mm-hmm. I completely see what you're saying. <laughs> and that's like the great the great genre of American myth making, and to kind of transplant mm. that and swap out the figures of uh, bringing in. Ho- the wandering strangers coming into town and leaving it, uh, ridding it of the uh, evil that is controlling it, or uh, and and changing perspectives and what have you is uh, instead of a a gunslinging cowboy, it's three fabulous drag queens, and that is such a lovely conceit and an idea to expand on for mm. a movie like this. Uh, I mm-hmm. do I do think the I think particularly the moment with the uh police officer i think is and the first moments where you kind of stick with uh karan during the moments where virgil is at his most abusive they can slightly jar the ride Mm -hmm. but again like you say is to add the sense of groundedness that these are issues and on the fringes and not everything is quite so clear cut as the world it presents and it leads to an interesting tension i think particularly if you haven't seen it before but it's a point where you're like is this going to turn mm. one way or the other but always chooses the path of um openness and acceptance which is mm. ultimately its uh objective mm. um I, I think as well like it's you know because obviously the the altercation with with the cop happens first and then it could easily go down that route of it's just it's just the the three of them sort of constantly being subjected to to abuse or or, mm. or bigotry. But it's then like that's they kind of find their in in the town with the women who they realise are sort of you know treated as treated as lesser, and particularly Caroline, who is obviously treated in the way that she is. 
but they that that's they then kind of like find you know we've had this bad thing happen to us there are bad things happening to the to the women in this town as well and it's they then immediately have something that they can kind of empathize with i think it's important that there is like there's like bad things happening to other people but that it's not just like all the hate and bigotry isn't just all channeled like at the three of them it's like there's yeah other bad things happening in the town as well so they kind of like they almost like set aside their negative experience with the cop because well they think he's dead so they're like oh he's kind of gone now um but then chi chi has that sort of like um interaction with those guys as well where it sort of like feels like her Mm. safety is is being threatened so it's you know there are people in the town who would potentially want to to do them harm but they they find people that are in sort of like can understand like how they feel or the way that they're treated particularly with like the women in the town and obviously particularly with caroline and what she's going through yeah and like to your point earlier as well the figures that are the most aggressive and the ones who exhibit the like uh bigotry and intolerance i i and it's another thing that i think has allowed this film to only become more um significant and more relevant even to this day is the fact that they are most of the time figures of authority male figures of authority and you you just need to look at their headlines still to this day to realize how uh relevant an issue that still is Mm -hmm. and it's 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 very uh satisfying getting them seen taken taken down a peg or two um even to the point where the sheriff starts off with this quite seedy character and he just gets progressive that uh, he is prog- progressively more and more ridiculed and mm. but then it <laughs> ends up with this really ri- <laughs> really really funny little monologue that he gives himself at the bar where he's like ta- <laughs> clearly <laughs> off, off. <laughs> his closet force is like those big men those <laughs> muscular men with their <laughs> masculine arms holding each other tightly <laughs> spell of aftershave <laughs> <laughs> But like they, they all kind of get their, they all get their comeuppance yeah. in a way, don't they? It's because very satisfying. <laughs> Virgil is, you know, slapped about by by Vida and the the guy who like wolf whistles in town has his bits grabbed by by oh, yeah. and dragged across <laughs> the street yeah, to go and yeah. apologise. So like all the people who are kind of jerks in this, like they all they all learn their lesson yeah. in a way. So you sort of think like, okay, you know. Let's hope that the, after after the film, after the credits have rolled, that those people would also like realize that that's yeah. not the way to <laughs> to way yeah. to behave. Yeah. Uh, it, it, hey, it, I, it, I love that it just presents love as something that's a sign of strength, and uh, and, and bigotry and hatred is ineffectuality, and it's fear, and uh, mm-hmm. it ultimately very very silly. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. The only part where I think it's aged really badly is when they're getting drunk with Carol Ann and they're listing all the men. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Denzel Washington, yep, fine. Keanu Reeves, yep, fine. But then they bring in Mel Gibson. (laughs) (laughs) Overdub that. We'll take that. that. I didn't know the name. (laughs) Someone less problematic. (laughs) Yeah. question uh, i wanted to yes. ask you guys uh, because something that really struck me about watching this film is that I, i'm not overly familiar with kidron as a filmmaker 
Um, this is the first thing I've Bridget seen. Bridget Jones and the Edge of Reason? No, no, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen that one. Was it Edge of Reason or was it Baby? Edge of Reason. Was it Edge of made. Reason? Yeah. No, I haven't I haven't seen that one. Um, but there's something, and I think it, it, it speaks to the sort of the strength of the tonal line this film walks. There is a real, I felt like there's a real steady hand guiding the ship and there's some very, very nice, the scenes are very nicely constructed. The performances are on a very, very nice, even keel, despite their different energies and different places. The, the, I, I think visually this film is very strong and there are some quite uh, impressive gambits. Like there's that one long tracking shot of all the couplings in the in the village and the camera kind of floats upwards and it shows the three queens dancing on the balcony. And mm. I just think it's a very well-directed film and I wondered what you you two thought about um, that kid Ron's job behind the camera. Yeah, I... I I agree. I think that there's it's there's great moments like that without it sort of being too showy. I mean, mm. I'm glad that she was able to direct the whole film, but also like the Spielberg fan in me is like, what would a Spielberg director <laughs> 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 look like? <laughs> I just want to see that alternative part. That's not to take away from what the director does in this at all, because I think it's I think it's it's very well directed. I think that it it tells the story perfectly and has those sort of like great little moments and and really showing the characters at you know at their best in sort of like the the opening where they're sort of like at the the drag pageant i think that's all very well like choreographed Mm. and very well shot as well and the ending as uh with the whole like was it red and wild party Um, oh yeah (laughs) i I like how that is how that is all shot as well so yeah i i think really really good job i'm not like super familiar with the rest of the films that she's directed i mean i it is quite patchy (laughs) (laughs) i've seen that bridget jones film but at no point did i think that's a very well directed film. I just yeah. thought this is a film I'm watching with my eyes, <laughs> and not much more than that. Yeah, it's largely she largely works in TV mm. after this, mm. but as she she has gone on to she does a lot of charity work. She's Baroness Kidron. I should, she would also know well, now as well. Well, well. Um, but she's a advocate for like children's rights in the digital world. So does a lot of charity work mm. for initiatives that help kids remain safe online and use using film and online tools as as tools for education so crack on yeah <laughs> she's, she's got something to do she's with into well. film hasn't she she's the joint, yeah. fi- the joint she, founder of it i think she founded that cool. yeah yeah but i fully agree i think like and yes all the performances in this are really strong from your free leads to the townsfolk stocker channing and what have you but i do think the reason they all work is because they're all very clearly all on the same page and mm. that only really that comes from your director being as good as mm-hmm. they are and she's clearly um got the message through <laughs> if that makes sense um and just the confidence from the off as well because sure. like i could like it kind of floored me a bit how quite like impactful and startling that opening montage is to the salt and pepper song yeah as they're getting <clears throat> ready it's really like stylistic and driven and mm-hmm. like it feels so emboldened to uh get you into this world and it just it really really wraps you in with the kind of sense of great uh confidence that these um men as men are feeling as they become their uh drag uh drag queen 
uh, personas and as they're putting on the layers and putting mm. on all the makeup, you really feel that how emboldened they would be as they're putting mm. that 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 on. And it's yeah, it's uh, I think it only comes from a director who's incredibly, incredibly confident and assured of themselves. Mm. So yeah, I fully agree with your point. Um, yeah, I. But I don't like Bridget Jones too. <laughs> <laughs> a fair, a fair point. I talking about that opening scene. I really like the way it introduces <clears throat> Patrick Swayze in this film mm. because it's it starts like most other times Patrick Swayze is introduced, like fresh out the shower, looking yeah. like an absolute specimen, and then it's like yeah. it, it it sort of like play it. it plays with our uh, like audience expectations a little bit because it doesn't sort of like straight away like reveal like him in drag we see the process we sort of uh, we see Patrick Swayze as we know Patrick Swayze to look and then he kind of like sits down and then has this great sort of transformation mm. moment I just think it's very I just think it's very cleverly done I like how that yeah. is yeah. how that is shot as well which is kind of like oh okay that was unexpected <laughs> like if you hadn't watched the trailer you might be like oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah and there's that one moment too, right before he goes to confront uh, Virgil, when um, when Vida gets their hair, the wig caught on the light or whatever it is, the dangling fixture, oh, yeah. and it pulls off. And it's I find it genuinely shocking because you, I was by that point so bought into the fantasy of it all mm. that you, I, I, you forget, you forget, you do forget. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh yeah, Vida, oh yeah, <laughs> of course, right, of course, this is there's there's this construction here and there is upkeep required. And, Wow, yeah, it's, it's a really, really um, <laughs> effective beat, I found that to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it, like, that, <laughs> generally that kind of, like, air of confidence and the goodwill that they instill uh, leads to probably, like, my favourite line in the film is <laughs> Stocker Channing at the end. Yeah. Like just saying her thanks to Vida and just being like, when I look, when I look at you, I don't, I don't see a man, I don't see a woman, I see an angel. <laughs> Vida's perfect response: I think that's healthy. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that line so much. There are so many good so lines many in good this. Quotes. Like, it's is so that? Well a, yeah. Do you guys have a particular particular favorite <laughs> lines or anything that sort of really stood out? Because <laughs> I've got one... many. But... <laughs> <laughs> the one that I keep looking at in my notes that I kept thinking of after watching it is: No one say anything frivolous for the next few moments. <laughs> yeah. I'm having a significant <laughs> experience. <laughs> Try to describe her without using the word statuesque. <laughs> <laughs> Jane it's Mansfield, so not a good auto reference. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of my favourites also comes from near the end where he's like, this isn't what our forefathers wanted. <laughs> well, it's the thing about our forefathers. They had fabulous wigs. Oh, <laughs> uh, It's fantastic. I mean, I no one saying anything frivolous is one of my favourite quotes in the whole film. The delivery is so perfect. Uh, <laughs> mentioned one of my, my favourite quotes from Noxima earlier, but... Um, the one that I say the most just in everyday life is, I think tomorrow is a say something hat day. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one today when Martin was like, oh, it's from this. <laughs> like I'll come down wearing like a nice scarf or something. I'm like, I think today is a say something scarf day. <laughs> 
Try it. It'll make you feel fabulous every day. I ain't gonna try it. <laughs> As we got to a point in the film, and you could tell, because what one thing that you could say against a film is that, like, narratively, it's not very surprising. As soon as you meet all the characters, you know exactly what the arcs are going to be. Who gives mm-hmm. a shit? It's so satisfying to see it done well. But as you could mm-hmm. see these things start to come to a head, you realise, oh, there's only about 10 or so minutes left. I could happily have had a three-hour, four-hour <laughs> version of this movie. I, yeah. just, I could have lived, I could have basked in its vibes for a lot longer than it's... Uh, mm. <laughs> it does give very good vibes. <laughs> <laughs> it flies by as well. Mm. I mean, like, pacing-wise, I mean, what is it, hour 44? Yeah, it's, something yeah, like that. About. Like, the, the perfect length, but it never sort of feels like it... Outstays welcome. welcome. Yeah, Absolutely. I could I could watch more of it as well because I I feel like, you know, it's a small town, yes, but there's enough characters in that t- in the town where they could sort of like delve into <laughs> those backstories a little bit more. But I I love like when they get that kind of like makeover moment where they go to like the hair salon and they will get these like fabulous hairstyles and they go to the shop and have their sort of like catwalk moment where they get all these new outfits. Yeah. There's just so many great moments in it that you of course you expect those moments to happen like these three fabulous people arrive in this like little podunk town you know they're gonna kind of wave their magic wands and make something fabulous mm. happen but it's still just so satisfying to, <laughs> <laughs> to see it play out so much it's so heartbreaking as well it's from Ann's perspective from the kitchen window as well like, oh. Oh. <laughs> i know she god, just wants to be god involved. bless you stockard Chanik. god i God, how good she is! <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's just so, such a kind film across the board. A little detail that I really like: even the stuttering shop clerk gets his moment. Oh, even yeah. he gets a makeover. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> is invited. <laughs> Wesley snipes in that moment as well. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, "Oh, I like this. No, this is fringe. You can't have fringe. Fringe is my thing." <laughs> I just guess he wasn't wrong. Like, screams like because he finds all like the clothes and stuff upstairs, <laughs> and he looks he looks incredible in that orange fringe. <laughs> <laughs> it is just think within three years of this film, Wesley snipes was Blade, which is, yeah. may may well be, probably is, safely his most uh, iconic role, mm. defined by its sort of uh, stoic, downplayed, cool quality. But what oh, range no, the of, guy There's had. a bit of camp in his Blade as well. <laughs> <laughs> What's the line about... Noxima s- doesn't leave him. <laughs> What's the line about ice skating uphill? So, talking about quirkable movies. Some motherfuckers movies. always going to up, ice skate uphill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, where's the snipes, man? I'm pleased he's okay. Yeah, I love the dude. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, are there any other thoughts or closing remarks anyone would like to say about Tu Wong Fu before we wrap it up with our mailbag segment? Mm. (laughs) Um, It's... It's just, it's, it's such a great film. I'm just looking at my notes, like, did I make any, did I say anything important? It's mostly just quotes. <laughs> so it's just me writing all the quotes uh, down that I, that I enjoyed. Uh, I like the, uh, the, the boy in a dress speech from yeah. Noxie. That's really good as well. Um, just so many fun individual moments but they're all sort of like tied together in a way that just feels like so satisfying and so enjoyable and i i genuinely never get bored of this film it is like mm. a real comfort watch for me because there'll there'll always be something that i 
find funnier than I did the last time. And it really was a film that grew on me as well. I can't believe I once watched this film and was like, yeah, that's all right. I don't know if I just, was I just not in the mood? Like, was I having like that bad a day that it just didn't hit the spot? Maybe I was having a really good day, so I didn't need it. I don't know. But now <laughs> I appreciate this film so much more. I, I love it. I had a great time mm. uh, rewatching it today um, ahead of this. So, and talking about it now just makes me want to watch it again. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. such a fun film. So enjoyable. Yeah. Wholeheartedly agree. And this is yeah, I had the exact same feeling walking away from the recording with uh, with Martin towards Inner Space. So <laughs> the two of you have chosen two very good another comfort day, uh, comfort film staple. On your list. Yeah. yeah that that is Martin's like ultimate comfort. <laughs> he loves that film <laughs> so much. Uh, I, I I look forward to sharing this film with my girlfriend is going to love this. I was gutted that, yeah. that, that our partners mm-hmm. couldn't join us last night to watch it, uh, Sunday night to watch it. But um, I'm excited to share this film and just watch it again and again and again. It's excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. I had a I had a similar thing. It was one of those. Uh, there was a little trepidation of being like, I remember liking this when I was <laughs> in my early teens, but is it? Is it going to hold up? And I was so glad to see that it held up even better than <laughs> memory recalled. And I, 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 I do look forward to introducing it to a lot of people who I know will love it as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm looking forward to mm. watching it a lot more times <laughs> going forward. <laughs> I'm not, go- I'm not going to leave it another 16 years. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. <laughs> It's continuing a very, very strong 1995 streak so far. It with, is indeed. Casper, Bridges of Madison County, and Tuong Fu. Uh, I feel like nothing is going to stop the momentum of 1995. <laughs> it's a, a certain quilt. <laughs> oh. Universal Pictures and Amblin Entertainment present... How do I look? Like the Miami sound machine just exploded all over you. Wesley Snipes. Look, I'm sorry about the way the Civil War turned out. Patrick Swayze. I gather you like hitting ladies. Some ladies need to get hit. And John Leguizamo. I gotta go. I got cramps. To Wong Fu. Thanks for everything. Julie Newmar. Uh, we we did put out the feelers as always to, for messages for any fans of the film we wanted to get in touch, and we had a lovely one from mm-hmm. our a previous guest on Rambling Amelie podcast, Steph Brand Huber, who you may remember from our batteries not included episode. She wrote a lovely email to say, "I love Tu Wong Fu. It's one of those movies that seems to have always been somewhere in the background of my life." One of those that I can't even remember when or where the first time I saw it was becomes because it's part of the fabric of my cinema loving history while i can't remember when or where it was i do remember the sense of joy i felt as a young girl watching it the campness the flamboyance the stellar performances by all three leads to me the movie was always a message that it's okay to be yourself that you can be celebrated for who you are and i think that's an important feeling that crosses all divides backgrounds and identities Yes, the film isn't without its problems and is too safe and evasive in places to strike a meaningful chord where it counts most to many. It's by no means an accurate, fully fresh reflection of drag culture either. However, on a personal note, 
Tu Wong Fu never fails to leave my spirits lifted. Stockard Channing coming out in a red dress at the end. The strawberry social and the final, arguably simplified but no less heartfelt, message of acceptance is what brings me back to this movie time and time again. As Noxima Jackson says, larger than life is just the right size. <laughs> Thank you, Steph. I think that's one of the nicest messages we've had. <laughs> when we put I wanted to applaud then. I was, <laughs> like, I was, I was quite moved. <laughs> Got goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> Want to watch it again? <laughs> Might watch it this weekend, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll come round. Put in the mood. <laughs> Uh, now, of course, as we may have hinted at there, um, we're still not quite out of 1995 yet, as our next episode will be on Jocelyn, Jocelyn Morehouse's adaptation of Whitney Otto's novel, How to Make an American Quilt, starring Winona Ryder, Anna, Anna Bancroft, Ellen Burstein, and Alfred Woodard. And Maya Angelou, I believe. So it's, it's quite a cast. She made the dressmaker again, as well. She's obsessed. She's got a textiles obsession. She's got a textiles <laughs> obsession. <laughs> so look forward to see if How to Make an American Quilt uh, can keep up this good run for 1995. Um, if you would like to watch the film along with us, but don't happen to have it on disc, it is available to rent or buy digitally from Apple TV, Amazon, Google Play, Microsoft, Sky Store and YouTube. Uh, if you've seen it and have got any thoughts that you want to share with us, please do tweet us at Ramblin Amblin or email at Ra- No. <laughs> <laughs> no! The autopilot nearly works. <laughs> or email us at ramblinaboutamblin at gmail.com. That's ramblin at. For fuck's sake. <laughs> I don't. I have, mo- I have like stretches of being fine. <laughs> Uh, I'll start all that again. From the top. Expect to hear this in the finished episode. You never <laughs> cut out my mistakes, do you? I cut out some of them. <laughs> how bad can they be, given the ones that you leave Depends in? Depends how funny I think they are. <laughs> if you've got any thoughts or opinions about how to make an American quilt, or if you indeed know how to make an American quilt, please do tweet us at Amblin <laughs> or email us at ramblinaboutamblin at gmail.com. That is ramblinaboutamblin at gmail.com. And while your device is in your hand, please do pop onto your podcatcher of choice and give us a nice little like, subscribe, and if you've got time, a review. Indeed, indeed, indeed. And speaking of all those lovely social places, Sarah, I hand the floor to you. Where can the good people find Let's George for a Minute and your good self on the socials should they be so inclined? I, quickly, I just now want your <laughs> inbox to be absolutely flooded with people who make quilts. <laughs> they're coming out in their droves. They're sending you pictures of their quilts. That's all I want. Um, <laughs> Me too, in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. Have a who made the best quilts competition or something. Um, <laughs> anyway, yes, you can find me um, mostly on Twitter um, at Sarah Buddery and you can find Jaws for a Minute at Jaws for a Minute and whenever, wherever you find podcasts, wherever you find Rambling Ambling, you'll find us as well. Indeed. We're, we're, we always uh, make sure to share your latest episode, even when I'm not on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some other good episodes as well. Yeah. Like just <laughs> Uh, look forward to seeing as well the um, 
eventual sit seasons go as well. Mm. Um, very exciting. Um, I, I'm very excited to see what other sharp movies are covered to. <laughs> it's a, it's a uh, favorite subgenre yeah. of mine. <laughs> shark, shark Tale is on our list. Uh, and I think there's a Sharknado as well. So, Lord help us. <laughs> Godspeed. <laughs> yeah. be- thank you so much as well for joining us for our episode on Tu Wong Fu. Um, you've been a fantastic company for what, what is a joyous film. Mm. Um, and what has been a joyous conversation. So thank you very much. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And Josh, we'll have to get you on LJ Fam as well at some point. We've had Andy twice, Love so to. we've got to, <laughs> yeah. got to make it happen. <laughs> I'll be on there for the Deep Blue Sea episode. <laughs> if we haven't got a guest already, I'm a pencil you in for it, don't worry. <laughs> or uh, Open Water, remember that? <laughs> that might be on our list. Yeah, I'll have to check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds, that sounds fabulous. <laughs> and last but not least thank you dear listener for stopping on by once more to r- listen to us all ramble about Tu Wong Fu thanks to everything Julie Newmar we'll join you- we hope you join us next time for our episode on how to make an American quilt uh, <laughs> until then <laughs> good luck with your quilts uh, take care and we'll see you on down the road uh, goodbye <laughs> bring your sewing kit <laughs> no, good luck with your quilts. <laughs> Ready or not, here comes Mama. And where is the body? <laughs> <laughs>